Let me pray, and then uh, I'll help you understand where we're going here. Lord, thank you for a wonderful conference as we come now to the end. And uh, Lord, we just give you praise for what you have done and are doing. Um, As we turn our attention now to what it means to love our neighbor who is different than us politically, I pray that you would give us grace because we need a, a special extra measure of grace here. Um, because we can all admit that this is, this is charged. This, is, um, this has potential to divide. This is, there's a lot of anger. Um, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of righteous indignation. Um, it's just a sensitive topic in our culture right now. And um, I think to our own shame, in many ways, we as Christians have jumped in uh, to that toxic environment. So uh, convict us where we need conviction, uh, teach us where we need teaching, and in all things, give us your grace, love, wisdom, and kindness. Bless this conversation, which is so needed in the church today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, here's what I, here's, let me tell you, I don't know how your other seminar did it. Let me tell you how we're doing it in here. I'm going to frame the discussion first by speaking a little bit to the issue. And then I'm going to bring my panelist up and I'm going to engage her um, a little bit on, and you'll understand why that is when I bring her up. Um, I'm going to engage with her a little bit. And if we have time, which we did in the last session, maybe we will this time, I don't know. If we have time, then we'll take some questions that you might have. Um, but if we don't get to the question and answer time, uh, then, um, you know, you feel free to email questions. We certainly can keep this conversation going because we, I think it's a very important one in the church today. All right. I think we can all admit, um, maybe it's not true for you, but if you were to, um, if you were to, uh, ask Christians in our, not Christians, if you were to ask people in our culture, this transcends the Christian faith, obviously. If you were to ask our culture, who is your enemy? Um, I, I think if they were to be honest, um, probably, the, probably the biggest answer would be uh, a person who holds the different political views than I do. I think if there is one thing that is not just dividing us, but is dividing us with rage right now, I think it is politics. Um, And so I think it's important for us to ask, how do we love our neighbor who has a different political view than us? Because that's kind of what's become the dividing line. Let me begin by, as best I can, and from my own estimation, explain why I think that is. Um, What I'm going to do here is kind of diagnose the situation and how we are where we are, just kind of a cultural uh, diagnosis of things. And then I'm going to ask you personally some diagnostic questions. Um, to see, to help you see maybe whether you fit into that and fall into this problem, and then and then I want to give a lot of time to um, to the person who's going to be joining joining us to Caroline. Um, all right, he, let me let me help us understand it by coming at it this way. We are living in. Um, um, we, it's okay. <laughs> You've been like slowly trying to get that open without. <laughs> it's okay. If we have crying babies, we can have adults opening cans. Um, <laughs> So when you look at the world that we inhabit, um, we're, we're, we're in the midst of two, two 
really profound movements. We, we live in a secular age and we live in a um, technological age. Some would call it individualistic age. I'm calling it technological and we'll talk about that in a second. But secular age, technological age. What I mean by secular age is not necessarily, um, when, when Christians think secular, uh, they think kind of worldly. Um, bad. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about secular age the way philosopher Charles Taylor um, uses it, which is essentially a new age is upon us, and what makes this new age unique is that it is possible and even plausible to live your life as if there is no God and as if religion has no meaning or value. That is an utterly unique reality that has come upon us in a hundred years out of the Enlightenment that has never happened in the history of the planet where somebody could, could live their life as if there was no God and as, as if religion, worship of that God, whether it be God's God, whatever culture you want, whatever it's from, as if there is no God and as if, as, as if religion, which is the organization of worship of that deity, is no longer needed. That's a new phenomenon it's the secular age. The technological age is a lot more easier to understand because I think you intuit it naturally, is that we also live now in an age where this owns and controls me. Um, to the point where it's not just a preference anymore. There have been many times, there have been many times where I've gotten just tired of this thing and said, I'm going flip phone, I don't care. But then I started thinking about, could I literally do life with a flip phone? And I don't think I can. Like we are getting to the point where I, we have to live in the digital world. It's how information is given. It's how business is done. We, ha we are bound to the technological age of our society. And then the, then the flip side of that coin means the individualistic age. Um, because because what, what has happened with technology is it has is, it is, uh, is crossed the barrier of community to where I and Waters can be friends without each other's presence. So I can literally live individually. So technological age and individualistic age go hand in hand. Now, why do I bring that up? What happens within the secular age is you have a loss of religion. What happens in the technological age is you have a loss of community. We, have, we are witnessing the demise of religion and community, but here's the problem. And this is, uh, this is the crux of Charles Taylor's critique of the secular age. The problem is, is that as religion goes away and as community goes away, the problem is, is that you cannot shut off religion in your soul and you cannot turn off your need for community. These are impossible. So image bearers of God must be religious. We must, you can go around and say there is no God all day long. You can go around and say I don't need religion all day long. You are living as if there is a God. Even if that God could be Kentucky basketball and your, and your, and your temple could be Rupp Arena. But you are living as though there is a God and you are a part of a religion. You cannot be irreligious. This is the critique of the secular age. But what happens when there is no religion in a traditional sense, there in, into this vacuum uh, steps alternatives for religious worship. In the same way, in the technological age, we have this view that we can be individuals, and you can't. You have to do community. 
you literally in your being, the way God designed you as a triune God who's a relational God designed you, where you have to have community. You have to do friendship. You have to gather around something. So what has happened in a secular age where religion is no more, in a technological age where community is no more? Something steps into that. And if I were to ask you what is the religion and community of our age, it is, it is politics. Politics has become our religion. And politics has become our community. There are reasons that I'm going to speak to here in a second of why I think politics is what stepped into that void. But I think any, any philosopher and any sociologist who would just survey the landscape of, of America right now, American culture, they would say, it's very clear what your religion is. <laughs> and it's very clear what you commune around and its political ideology. Um, I was uh, with... Um, I was with Abby last week in D.C., and I was meeting with a member of Congress who, uh, who said this, this is a direct quote. I'm not going to use this person's name because uh, I didn't ask for permission to, but um, they feel it. They feel either the, the, um, the vehement hatred from the other side or the unhealthy expectations and worship from their side. They feel it. And one politician, um, one member of Congress uh, said to me, and he's a Republican, and the, reason I, the only reason I say that is because uh, I bring up uh, Trump's in this quote. This is what he said. He said, I, I, just, I just wish my constituents would know that we are a terrible religion and Trump is a terrible great high priest. We are a terrible religion and Trump is a terrible great high priest because he said that's how it feels up here, that we're in, we're in a religious battle. Now, Why? How did politics come to take such precedent in our culture? Well, it began with the politicization of media as an institution. Um, progressives held a near, so there's a, there's a movement that happened during the millennial generation, and there's a movement that's happened in the most, most recent kind of Gen Z is what they're calling it, generation. The, the movement that took place in the millennial, so we're talking 90s, early 2000s, is the politicization of media as an institution where progressives held a near monopoly on traditional mainstream news sources. What happened was that led, so when I say traditional mainstream, I'm talking about the majority of newspapers and network news, where it began to have this progressive editorial spin to everything. What happened was the reaction of the reactive emergence of conservative talk radio and cable news. So essentially, um, conservative says, okay, fine, you own the mainstream news, then we're going to create this whole new space, which was talk radio and its reemergence, and then cable news, where we'll own that space. And pretty soon what happened by the time you get into the 21st century is that it's nearly impossible to find a headline reported without an editorial spin. Does that make sense? That the headlines are supposed to be reported without a spin. It's very hard to find a headline reported without an editorial take or spin to it. But then came the advent of online news. And what, had, what was kind of this initial divide of our country became just this all-out chasm that we now inhabit, where information went exclusively digital. And when that happened, when it went, and nobody knows this more than my man here, when that happened, when, when our information went technological in this technological age, um, it began to be shaped by algorithms. And these algorithms are hauntingly good 
at knowing you. They are very precise, artificial intelligence able to deliver content, both real and much of it fake content, to you based solely upon your personal worldview and beliefs. The news that is fed to you, the information that is fed to you, believes what you believe, loves what you love, hates what you hate, fears what you fear, and never, ever, 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 ever disagrees with you, ever. Such that you can now, it is possible, dare I say probable, to exist within the confines of your own personal echo chamber. It is very possible in this secular technological age to literally live only inside of an echo chamber that believes what I believe and hates what I hate and loves what I love. It's very possible. You have to fight to hear it in perspective, in other words. I'll give you an example. This is like, so I am not the conspiracy theorist guy. I didn't do this in the first talk, but I'm doing it here. It's gonna make it more charged, I think, but that's okay. We got a little more time here. I didn't do this in the first talk, but I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, okay? I'm really not, I'm really not. I, I believe algorithms do control. I mean, I think that's, that's proven we know that. Algorithms control our information stuff. So anytime that I write something that starts to trend a little bit, um, what we will do, what um, our media guy Paul will do, is he will pay like 20 or 50 bucks to Facebook to boost it. And does everybody know what that, what that means? I mean, boost, so if, I, so if TCPC shares something that I've written, um, it'll just show up with people who like TCPC. Some, it shows up with some people's. But if you boost it, it means that it goes out more. Facebook will put it out on more pages, right? And publish it more. So when, whenever I've written something that seems to struck a nerve or I'm getting a lot of emails of like, man, that was so helpful, seems to be fruitful, starts trending a little bit, Paul will pay a little bit to Facebook and boost the post and, and get it out there more. Um, and every time, that's, that's usually approved within a half hour. Uh, I think the most we ever waited on approval was an hour. Um, I don't know how many of you read uh, the article I wrote on late-term abortion. Um, I guess that was, was that last week? I guess it was last week. Um, it started trending, a it started trending a lot, actually. And, and so Paul went and he asked it to be approved on Thursday morning of last week. On Sunday, it was still in review. He said, that's weird, just canceled it. Monday, tried to boost it again. Um, by Wednesday, still had not been approved. So that's just weird, trust me. He went in and got into the stats of it. That post, so to, for comparison's sake, um, for comparison's sake, um, a little Christmas article that I had written that had been shared, I think, like 15 times from our page, something on Christmas, had been viewed 2,500 Times. Okay, so 15 shares, 2,500 times. When Paul checked the stats, that article, this is just from our page. It had been shared a ton other places. Just from our page, that article, that abortion article had been shared, I think it was 180 times, and it had been viewed 2,400 times. And so he started looking at it, and then he called, he literally called Facebook's customer service and said, hey, is there a reason why this isn't going anywhere? I mean, it, it, they were literally actively suppressing this article. And he brought it up, and they said, oh, you know, there's something like, we'll, we'll fix that immediately. And all of a sudden, the thing started going crazy all over the Internet. But when he started to look at where it was going, it wasn't going anywhere where he had targeted. So he, he wanted to go to the Central Kentucky region and, and get involved in that. It was going to the most random, remote places, and, and it's just amazing to track what they were doing with this. Now, 
you, if you're a conservative, you say, oh, it makes me mad what they're doing. Okay, but you do, need, you do realize they're doing that with you too. They are completely controlling what you read, what you see, what you listen to. You live in an echo chamber of your own worldview. And what does that do? It turns your worldview into worship. And Christians... It is, important to, it is important to understand that when you talk about what are idols that we should fear, what are sins that the church should fear, it's not the ones that are overt and we all see and we can all agree upon that's a bad thing. Don't, don't be afraid of those. Be afraid of the subtle idols that infiltrate the church that we, we do not see. So Dave and I were just talking about this. If you were to ask people, Macklin was in the first was in our first uh, session, and he affirmed this. If you were to ask other people about American Christianity and say, hey, what, what are we blind to? What's the sin that we should be worried about, so to speak? They're not going to say the stuff that we're hammering, you know, the, the sexuality debate, um, things like that. They're going to say, oh, it, it's so obvious, y'all don't see it. It's so obvious, it's money. I mean, that, that's your problem. There is no difference between Christians in the church and people in the world, and their love of money, and their pursuit of money, and their consumption, and their materialism, all stuff. When, when outsiders look at the church and the world, this is nearly indistinguishable. Okay. The other one that I fear is not talked about as seen is that the way Christians do politics is nearly indistinguishable between, between us and the world. Now, I would say... And I'm, I'm saying that on both sides. So if I were speaking right now at a Presbyterian USA church, a progressive mainline denomination, I would say there is no difference between the way you do progressivism and the way you think of conservatives than as your token liberal who doesn't claim to be a follower of Christ. And to, to our context, the PCA, um, I, think we, I, think we have to, I think we have to ask the question, is there any difference between the way we do politics and the way the world does politics. And if there isn't, then what it means is that we have bought into this false religion and this um, very, very um, weak community um, that, that, that the world has bought into. So let me ask some diagnostic questions. That's my, that's my cultural diagnosis of, of how we got here. Let me ask you some diagnostic questions that I like to ask people to see if you see yourself in this cultural movement, okay? And just ask you to answer these honestly in your heart. These are, these are questions I like to ask. Do you find more commonality with those who share your political views than those who share your Christian views? So do you find more commonality with, if, if you're a Republican, do you find more commonality with a non-Christian Republican or a Christian Democrat? And if you say, well, I didn't know you can be a Christian Democrat, you're in for a treat in just a little bit. Do you find more commonality? And again, I'm only speaking to us. We're learning how to love. We're, we're talking, we're looking at ourselves here, people. This is neighbor love for us. This is our conference. Again, if I was at a progressive church, I would say, do you find more commonality with a progressive who's not a follower of Jesus or with a conservative who loves Jesus? Not doing that. I'm asking us. Commonality, friendship. Second, do you find it hard to believe that someone can even be a Christian and a part of the opposing political party? I get that, y'all. I'm not kidding you. I regularly, I, 
I, I get it often. Can you even be a Christian and be a Democrat? Like, that's, I'm not making that up. And you're going to hear that in, in Caroline's story in a little bit. And you guys know this, that on the other side, they're saying the same thing. Can you even be a Christian and vote for Trump? Like, is that even possible? That's what they're thinking. But I think it's so deeply embedded that we even legitimately think you can't be a Christian and be a part of the, the opposing political party. Third, this is what I'd like to ask. Can you critique the beliefs of your own political persuasion and affirm beliefs of your opposing political persuasion? Meaning this. Are you able, if it's true that the Republican Party is not the kingdom of God, and it is not, and if it is true that the Democrat Party is not the kingdom of God, and it is not, then what it means is that the kingdom of God should be able to affirm and critique both. So I'm asking you, can you critique yours and affirm the other? Because unless they're perfect and they're not, then they both can be critiqued and they both can be affirmed. Are you able to critique your own and affirm the other? Fourth question I'd like to ask is this. When caught, do you turn to whataboutism? Whataboutism is, a, is, a, is, 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 the, is the cultural language we've given to the 2Q fallacy. 2Q is, is, a, is a logical fallacy. It means you, t you too. And you get that now? What about ism is when your party gets caught. So there are times when our parties are just, I can't, there's no way for me to spin or justify that. That's just really bad. <laughs> That's just really bad. That audio recording of Trump is really bad. But what about this that you didn't get mad about? So when you're actually caught, do you turn to a fallacy of what about ism to say, yeah, you're right, I can't spend that, but what about? How come you didn't have, how come you didn't get mad at Obama when he did this? What about ism? To get out of, because you're defending your God, you're defending your religion. Fifth, and this is just simple, is winning more important than loving? I find winning the argument for many Christians, and especially on social media, winning the argument is more important than loving neighbor. That you are more, it is more important for you to be right than to be loving. So those are diagnostic questions I'd like to ask. You can process them yourself. Um, but you need to know if, you're, if those are getting you, then, then you've bought into the spirit of our age, which is a polarized, partisan, secular world where religion has become, politics has become our religion. And it is a false religion. It is not the true religion. Now, to test you even further, I've got a friend that I want to bring up. All right, so here's how this happened. When we said we're going to host a conference on loving our neighbors, and when we picked the different ones that we were going to do, we said, you know, Robert can't get up there and talk about how do you love your neighbor with, polit with different political views. We're going to probably have to get somebody that maybe has different political views and talk to them. <laughs> And so Caroline, come, 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 come. So Caroline, she's going to share her story. Caroline, um, he's not in here. Her parents were in the first service. He's a member of our church. Scott White is her father, and Scott is. I would say, would you say he's the loudest liberal in our city? Possibly. I think he is. Yeah. Her, her, her father is the loudest progressive in our city. He's a member of your church. He's a member of TCPC, but he is the loudest liberal in the city, which I think is utterly ironic. Um, I love Scott. Um, she grew up with Scott, and, uh, and that's interesting. 
Um, but he's a good man. He can answer yes when he joined our church. This is what he said to the session. He said, you're wrong here, 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 here. And you know, just here's all the places you're wrong. But yes, I can say yes to those five valid questions. And I looked at my elders and I said, okay. We say this is all it takes to be a member of our church. Belief upon Jesus Christ and submission to, to the church. He's willing to do that. Are you willing to have him come in with his sexual, you know, all this stuff? And our session, I, I was very proud of him. He said, absolutely. He's a brother. And so, um, anyway, I'm getting... Uh, I'm giving too much to your dad. We don't want your dad. We want you. So I wanted her to tell her story, and then I've got some follow-up questions that I'm going to ask her uh, to maybe probe it. But I, I think this is really compelling for our church to hear. So tell us, tell us your journey, Caroline. Your journey. Okay. Your journey. Um, yeah, I, I think the background will be pr the longest I speak. Um, but just to give you all, I think it's important to know where I'm coming from. I think it's just, yeah, it's helpful. Um, so I grew up, like Robert said, um, in a family and in a broader community of people Put that who, to your mouth. Who, were, who were very um, politically engaged, um, very, very political, politically engaged to the left. Um, I grew up on um, Democrat campaign trails, um, worked on um, campaigns my senior, senior year of high school especially. Um, I grew up here in Lexington going to the Spanish Immersion Program school magnet schools so literally from kindergarten to 12th grade um, I sat under the teaching of immigrants um, all of my teachers were from other countries um, Spanish-speaking countries all over the world um, my parents and my family's closest friends um, were Muslims um, gay couples addicts poor people um, people who'd been incarcerated so I, I say all that because just I have a deep love and a personal connection to individuals and communities um, who have been pers personally, individually, and systematically oppressed and marginalized and hurt um, and silenced um, and, and abused. And so, yeah, I think that's imp an important thing to note. Um, so growing up, you know, just being very exposed to people who were different than me um, was, uh, was just very formative. Um, in high school, um, my diagnosis of the world around me, as it is probably for many of you, um, was just really poor. Um, I felt really angry and really mad at how the world was, how, to, how America was. Um, and I, um, with great joy, um, received uh, my party's um, answer to the problem of the American public um, and, and the Messiah of <laughs> Barack Obama, um, whose literal... Um, campaign, if y'all remember this, in 2008, his campaign, like, mantra was hope. Um, and I was like, the world, America, my friends, this community, like, we need hope. Um, and I, I literally thought um, and, and, and believed and, and worked tirelessly out of, out of the belief that um, this man um, could deliver a really um, sad America into a better day <laughs> um, and into a better reality. Um, all the while, my um, end of high school years, um, while I was campaigning for um, what I thought would be the hope of deliverance for our country and world, um, I was converted um, and, and became a follower and a lover of Jesus. Um, and so in a very personal, um, spiritual way, I could identify that Jesus was my only hope. Um, 
and, and, I, and I say hope very purposefully because there was, I think I felt like the hope for me, my only hope was in Jesus, um, but, but still living and proclaiming the hope for the world to be in a political candidate. Um, and, and let me stop you there because I think that's really important. What's compelling about that is somebody who, who seems to embody what I find a lot in, in, in the Reformed evangelical world, but on the other end. Like, I, I know, I, I engage with a lot of conservatives who say, yeah, Jesus is my personal hope, he's my savior, he's my... But practically live as if my hope is one more Supreme Court justice mm-hmm. than this conservative, or, or, or elect this politician, and they will be able to fix mm-hmm. these things instead of seeing Jesus as not just my hope, but the hope of the world. Right. It's interesting to hear it come from you who are mm-hmm. saying, yeah, Jesus is my hope, but Barack Obama's my savior of the world yeah, kind of, kind exactly. of thing. Yeah, um, exactly. And yeah, and then I think just as so I went off to college, that's kind of where I leaped out of Lexington, and I just so happened to choose to go to college at one of the most conservative universities, like uh, kind of my dad lovingly calls uh, SMU, where I went to school in Dallas, um, George Bush University, because George Bush Presidential <laughs> Library is there. Um, and I, my freshman year, I started at SMU. George Bush had just left the White House and come back to Dallas attended school, uh, church at our campus church, the presidential library broke ground. Um, I knew zero Democrats at SMU, maybe one or two actually towards the end. But um, yeah, it's funny because I left high school. I was like president of the young Democrats at my high school. Um, I just was like, again, fresh off the Obama campaign trail basking in the glory and the hope of the next four years, um, and then ended up at SMU where no one was like me. <laughs> um, and, and that, I don't know, that, that was interesting. I think too, just, I'd, beca- I'd just become a Christian, and so I immediately got plugged into the community of RUF, the campus ministry I work for. Um, and so for the first time in my life, I was around other Christians. Um, and what I learned, I learned so much in those four years, but something that I learned of the culture of Christianity probably, like Robert was saying, very muddled with the culture, the political culture of SMU, was um, you can basically leave, leave your political beliefs and convictions at the door. Um, kind of what Russ talked about in his, during the Q&A session about the dorm room illustration, like all are welcome, like progressives and liberals are welcome, but like leave your convictions and beliefs and, you know, volunteer hours for the Obama campaign at the door. Um, And so I just learned in college, like, as I was, like, growing into um, a Christian woman, growing into the community of of the faith, learned, and and much, 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 much out of my own personal fear um, to just silence any political conviction I had. Um, And so I I think I've, I've deeply wronged y'all and, and my church, my brothers and sisters, um, for, getting, like, for getting into the temptation and the sin of fear and cowering to what people would think of me. Um, and so I'm sorry for being quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry for my silence um, and for giving into that just flesh. But I say that that, that was a, just a really significant period of time where I started kind of learning, okay, like, if I'm going to put on Christ— I can't wear my Democratic Defenders high school t-shirt anymore. Um, and so kind of just chucked that into the depths of my story and my heart. Um, it's funny, God really, really did so much 
internal spiritual work through the Holy Spirit when I was in college. I mean, I was sitting under the Word of God, um, growing to know Him and behold Him more deeply. Um, and, and internally, the Spirit was absolutely changing and conforming not only my heart and, and personal godliness, but also my opinions, my desires, my voice, um, my emotions. He was shaping all of this to, to become more like Him. Um, and, and, and while shaping me in His likeness, that meant shaping me, to my own surprise, into convictions um, and beliefs that were way different than what I'd grown up in um, and around. However, God didn't and still hasn't um, converted me into a Republican. Um, I think that <laughs> I think that some He's may, not quite done with you. Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still <laughs> under sanctification. I'm still being sanctified. But yeah, so you get there when you get to glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think I say that because I think it's important to note that like being a part of the body and being exposed to truth um, did shape my political opinions and views and convictions. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really and still haven't sensed God like calling me out of a political party, um, so to speak. Um, really significant, and this is the last part of my background kind of story, really significant period of my life was when I left college and I began work with RUF, the campus ministry, um, at Mississippi State University. So I went from George Bush University <laughs> to um, small town Mississippi. Um, and... <laughs> So you went liberal. Yeah, <laughs> wild. Um, but in this, in this season, in this time, the Lord um, brought me into um, just a season and a, mo- a cultural moment there in Starkville and, and really in the Mississippi area. And I think just in a, a cultural moment, even a, a, a significant moment in our churches and our denominations history of racial repentance. And um, there, it was just very... Yeah, it was just, it was timely that I was there, but my campus minister, um, who was a, you know, white male, grew up in the conservative evangelical church in Jackson, Mississippi, never left Mississippi, um, you know, good old Ole Miss boy through and through, um, he was the first person, um, thank God it was a Christian pastor, um, but he, he entered into and pressed into this part of my story. Um, he grew to detect or sense um, my kind of like deep, deeply embedded political con- convictions. Um, and instead of looking at that as like, oh, if that's something I need to like hone in on and change in Caroline while she's under my like apprenticeship, um, he leaned in as a learner, um, and that totally changed everything for me. Um, I went from, it went, my political convictions went from something that I was, like, just quiet about, like, um, I, I used the term in the last session, like, I, I kind of thought I had to become, like, politically cleansed of, like, any liberal, like, residue when, like, coming into, like, the church, the evangelical church. I went from there to being ashamed of my political convictions and keeping them in the, in, in the dark and in the silence, thinking I am wrong or people will think I'm wrong or bad or not really a Christian if I bring these to light and wear these a little bit more openly. I went from that to um, being pursued and um, deeply understood um, in, in my beliefs and in my story. Um, so, so he really came into a very... Um, loving and repentant and humble posture of wanting to learn and grow as a person, pastor, and um, Christian 
from what I had seen, what I believed, what I um, had lived through or, or, or whatever, had to say. Um, he let my beliefs um, actually come out into the open. He invited them out um, and actually had the humble, had, had enough humility to say, I want to be affected by and affirm and learn um, from, from, your, from your view that was much different than his. Um, and I think we've both, he and I both, um, were really changed and shaped by each other's views and experiences. Um, and I think we both have now, like, we have a fuller sense of um, the truth and freedom and justice of the kingdom of God because we've, like, beheld a, a larger scope, a more fuller scope um, of what God's kingdom is and will be. Um, and so really, to me, that relationship with him, I end on that because that's my hope for this church is that we would become a body where those little relationships were happening, um, affirming, and we'll get into this more, but just bringing that into, into our relationships and into our conversations um, in, in a different posture than I think a more like tolerant focused one where we just like smile and don't bring up those questions. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I, in the first session, I said, was that the first time she shared it? You, you ever shared that publicly? And she said, yeah, I feel like I just came out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's helpful. Again, this is a conference on neighbor love. And we are historically a conservative evangelical church. Mm. So we don't have to ask, help us understand conservatives, mm. or how do we love conservatives? I've had to ask that question. <laughs> you, you have had to ask that question, right, right. So, so we want to grow in this. Like, we, we, we want to be a church, we, you know, somebody, the, the number one question we got, Russ and I got, is how do we love the gay community of Lexington? And I think that's a genuine question out of a genuine heart. And I think a genuine question, a genuine heart is, how do we love our progressive neighbors in our city. So I, let, me, let me first start just by asking, um, we want to listen. I want to listen. So what would they say about TCPC? Hmm. Like what, what, when, when, what's our blind spots? Where would, if, they were to, if they were to think of us, what would they say? I think a lot of it you could easily assume. I mean, it's probably, it's a lot of things are probably fairly assumed. I mean, like, you know, Christians are hateful. They're prideful. They're disgusted by us, they're afraid of us, um, they're, you know, anything, they could, you know, the list could go on and on. They're ignorant, they're sexist, racist, whatever. That's, that's probably all there. I think the greatest blind spot, um, and then I would even say critique of um, TCPC and just the evangelical church in general, is um, its silence and its inactivity um, in, in Lexington. I, th- I think most of my friends, progressive friends who are and aren't Christians, would say, you know, just that, that famous quote, like, I love, I love your, what is that? Something like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, read my mind. Um, <laughs> like, something like, I, I love your, I love your God, or I love your Jesus, I just hate your people, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like thinking, I, lo- thinking, I love your Christ, I don't like your, your love your Christ, Christian, don't yeah, like your Christians, yeah. Christians. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like, okay, your, your Jesus is all about things that we're about too, but like, the church isn't, you know, like, y'all, like, where are y'all? 
at, at all these things? Where's the church's outrage at the injustices and oppression and the epidemics in our city? Um, where, where are they? Who is TCPC? I think that would be more of the blind spot. Who is TCPC? Who is TCPC? Where are y'all? Um, yeah, so, so I, just the, the, a, a criticism of apathy, indifference, self-loving what we're about, but not loving what the city is about, um, seeing our own needs, but not a need of not meeting the needs or seeing or even understanding or entering into the needs of the city. So just hiding in our little bubble and culture of people who think like us, act like us, and thinking that we're like this some big great thing when if you were to ask most progressives in the city who what's what do you think of TCPC, they'd say, what's TCPC? Right. Yeah. That hurts. Okay. Um, he asked. <laughs> uh, all right. So all right, how do we love our progressive friends? What, what, give us. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, as someone who I have felt deeply, deeply loved um, in this congregation, and um, I think for me, it, it, it kind of modeling off of that relationship I had with my pastor in Mississippi, too, I think we welcome, we really mean it when, like when Wes said this morning, like most every church's sign says all are welcome here, but like actually laying out the red carpet and welcoming in the city. Um, and, and, and like and, and inviting and welcoming that what the city has to bring, um, you know, like their desires, their anger, their hurt, their opinion, and their agenda. Like bring it on in, you know, um, welcoming in a spirit of like true Christian hospitality. Um, I think we we open up. Um, we ha- I think we have to open up and invite. A progressive and a liberal voice. Um, as, as someone, I, I can just say from experience, I didn't, like, no one ever said, quit talking, liberal. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but I just had a note of my opinions and my perspective and my voice on, on those issues weren't welcomed. Um, I, I did feel silenced. And so, or, or that was, un, like, that was kind of like, check that out the door. We're not interested in that. Come put on what we're about, but don't bring in what you're about. And I think um, inviting, we have, as the dominant culture in the church, we have to give, I think, progressives permission um, to speak. Not all of them are, like, raging, like, oh, I'm going to tell you my agenda. You know, like, a lot of them are probably like me, who was afraid, were afraid, or are afraid, to be honest about how they feel and vote, um, and what they're frustrated by, um, and what they see and want to be about in the community. And so I think um, I'm grateful for people who have given me permission to speak up. Um, and, and, to, and to listen. Um, and I think all of this to say hospitality, befriending, and, and not just existing and, and tolerating people who vote differently than you, but like actually being really good friends with them, um, seeking to understand them, their story. I mean, so much of how I vote has to do with how I grew up, who I'm friends with, where I went to high school, um, the things that like God has like given me an experience that has shaped my heart. Um, And and so you have to know that about someone's story. Um, And so asking and understanding um, who they are. Um, And I think the the big last ones for me are, I think we need to assume a posture of a learner. Um, What my pastor did in Mississippi was so evident in how he approached these conversations and these questions were not like, Caroline, how could you even be a Democrat and be a Christian? Like, those things just don't reconcile. You, you hear the tone in that, right? Um, but, but his questions were much more um, of, a, of, like, help me understand, or, like, what did you see that makes you so angry? Or, like, 
what, how does that, you know, what do you see that I don't see? Help me see. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a humble, made low posture of a learner. I want to be a student of your political ideology. I want to understand. Mm. Help me understand. Um, and then affirming the goodness and the beauty and the Christian values of the liberal side. And yes, there are some. I would say many. Um, uh, you know, Robert and I, he said this, like, there's no, there's just not a political party that completely honors the fullness of, of the truth and um, justice and freedom of the kingdom of God. And so that means there has to be elements on both political sides um, that honor scriptural truth, honor kingdom truth, and, and, and kingdom purposes. So I think affirming, like in a discussion, man, I love your heart for the poor. I don't, I don't, I don't even think poor people are on my radar. I love that that's in you. Man, or I love that you have a heart for the incarceration issue in this country. Man, help me learn, like, what are some, what's something I could read about that? I love that that's in you. Like, affirming and seeing the image of God in people. Mm. Um, and, and saying, like, I love that. I love your heart for justice. I wish I cared about justice like you do. Um, there's so many things on, in the Republican platform and more conservative platform that I can affirm and love and appreciate um, and, 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 and even adopt. And that, that would be the last thing I have, it would say is actually adopt, not being, being free in Christ and being humble enough to actually adopt some liberal views. I don't, no one's paying me to say that. I'm not saying become more Democrat, but um, I've ad- I truly have, like in, I mean, in years since being a Christian, really my only, like very, very few of my closest friends vote like me. And I've changed the way I vote, how I think about voting has changed because I've been friends with and have actually been shaped by Republicans and conservatives. And I would dare say let liberals and Democrats do the same for you. Um, start caring about what they care about. You don't have to vote like them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just adopting and actually saying we're free in Christ enough to be shaped by a full picture of the kingdom, not just my own party. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is your is your view of the kingdom of God is your commitment as a fo- to be a follower of Jesus big enough to say to look 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 at the right and say, man, that I can affirm that 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 feels like the kingdom of God to me, mm-hmm. and to look at the left and say, mm, that that feels like the kingdom of God to me. Like, is your Christian faith big enough to transcend this craziness and to and to say? You know, I can critique, like, I'm not playing your game. All of y'all are wrong. Kingdom of God's bigger than all this. And I can say that, that fits with what's true. That fits with what's true. And I'm just, I'm not going to play the game of, of what's not true or what's not beautiful or loving. We talk, you, you, you said that as your final word last time, and I would echo that. What did you say? Don't, you've had to cut. I had to, to fast from and remove voice. I've had to unsubscribe, literally, like on Instagram, um, but also figuratively. I've had to unsubscribe from voices and news platforms um, that just don't sound like my Jesus and my Lord. So, like, so, and this is going to be hard because, like, the vast majority of political content out there, it's mean, it's belittling, it's it's cutting, um, it's, it's characterizing. Um, 
it's just, it's mean and it's angry and not truthful and not good. Um, and, and I've just had to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let those thorns choke out truth and goodness, um, in my heart and in my mind, because that actually affects the way that I relate to people. Um, if all I'm hearing are yelling voices about how, you know, idiots, stupid on the other side, think and live and how could anyone vote that way? And just like, angry, mad people screaming. I've just had to like cut that off from my ears. Um, and that has drastically transformed the ways that I can relate to my conservative Trump loving friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, if it doesn't pass the first Corinthians 13, uh, test, I, I, you know, I would, I'd be tempted to treat it like, you know, you treat consuming porn because it's, you know, Scott Saul says, What's he say? That the slander and gossip of our age is, is a form of pornography. It's just like, it's a cheap thrill mm-hmm. uh, that you're stealing at the expense of another. Mm-hmm. And um, if it doesn't pass the 1 Corinthians 13 test, then I don't care how true it, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you're right but had not loved, then it's wrong, mm-hmm. is essentially the commentary of the whole passage. So if your, if your media, if your podcast, if your TV show, if your blog, if your website, if your Instagram account that you're following, if it's right and everything you believe is right and have not loved, then, that, then it's wrong. It's actually wrong. And because what it's doing is it doesn't matter how right the content is to you, it's training, it's discipling your heart to not love. Yeah. It's, for, it's forming you into a person that's pretty toxic. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and this is, like, this is serious stuff. Like, I, I, I know people who are deep friends of mine who got discipled in the ways of, um, of, of cable news and, and just and became really angry conspiracy theorists. And, and I've, I have personally felt their, their wrath because, you know, they think I'm a liberal. And as Russ said today, if you think we're liberals, then you don't know a liberal, you know. Um, so it's serious stuff. Like, Jumping into that world is—it's doing something to you. It's doing something to your heart, mm-hmm. and it's teaching you how to to not love. So, anyway, that's good. Hey, let me just say this: um, you apologize for not being courageous <laughs> enough to to be honest with who you are. I'm just really sorry that for whatever reason, in God's providence, you're in a tradition. You you found yourself in a tradition where you felt like you had to cleanse yourself of your political views in order to be accepted and loved, and that's nutso. So. Sorry, sorry you felt that way in the PCA. We're fighting against it, you and me. That's right. Hopefully, y'all. That's right. That's right. Um, we don't have time for questions. I'm sorry. We got to get you out of here. Respect your time. But if you want to email or keep this dialogue going, we'd certainly be willing to do that. Caroline, stay around. Talk to some folks afterwards if you want to talk to her and ask her some stuff. She's she's willing to do that. But uh, let me pray and send us out with the Lord's blessing. God, give us peace. Give us uh, grace. Give us trust. Give us love. Give us humility. Um, give us all that we need to. Uh, navigate this toxic culture of ours with an ethic that transcends it all, which is this gospel of a God who loved his enemies, Um, even those who uh, disagreed with him in every way of a God who, who came and chose instead to love. Give us that ethic above all else we pray in Christ's name. Amen.